0: There's a few sniffles from time to time. I am slightly under the weather today, but Lord willing, we will get through. And hopefully, we won't have too much of the crackling through the uh, the vocals. But uh, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good. It's good to see you. We're glad that you're here. If you are new or visiting with us, we are very glad that you are here with us too. And if you are new or visiting, um, at the end of the service, uh, if there's uh, if you get the chance, we'd love to meet you, to get to talk to you, to get to know you, and uh, plug you in here at Potomac Hills. And so at the end of the service, uh, if you're able to stay, we'd love to meet and greet you in the back hall. So we'd uh, love a chance to do that. So please stay if you can at the end. Well, uh, church, uh, today is a uh, it's a bittersweet day. And I say that because it's uh, it's our last sermon in this sermon series on the book of Titus. And it's bitter because it's it's the end of this great letter which teaches us so much about God's truth. But it's also sweet because we get to hear God's word again We get to have his Holy Spirit teach us and to call our hearts to action. And we get to hear some really great stuff that Paul's going to talk to us in Titus chapter 3 today. And so it's going to be good. Paul's letter to Titus, it's not a long one. Obviously, it's only three chapters, but it is packed with great doctrine and great teaching and also advice for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ how to live this life well. For this letter shows us the inseparable link between both faith and practice and belief and behavior in the Christian life. And that goes for the leaders of the church, me, your elders, your deacons, but that also goes for the congregation, you as well. And so if you're thinking maybe we're going to get off uh, the hook for having to live this stuff out well, because in the beginning, right, we just talked about the elders and elder qualifications in chapter 1, you would be wrong because this is for all of us. Um, This is good um, godly advice and good godly wisdom, and this is the Word of God which should change the way we live. And this book is good, and it has a lot to say. And as we conclude Paul's letter, we're going to get a chance to hear Paul remind us today of something very important, something that is vital to the Christian life, something that either provides evidence for Or evidence really against our claim to know Jesus Christ as our Lord, and Savior, our claim to salvation. And so, with this, let's read together what Paul strongly encourages us to know and also do. In Titus chapter 3, we're looking at verses 1 through 15. Please read with me along in your bulletins. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, we were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving and kindness of our God and Savior appeared, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in the Copolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are faithful. You are good and you are true. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need to be reminded of who we were before salvation, that we were once foolish, steeped in sin, steeped in darkness, and that it's only because of your glorious truth your grace that we are saved, that you have brought us to salvation. And Lord Jesus, as we receive this beauty, this grace, we ask you now, Lord, help us to devote our our lives to good works. Help us to be motivated by the grace that you've given us to do good deeds for your glory. Because Lord, we are a selfish group of people, me included who most often put ourselves before others and before your glory. And I ask you now to help us, challenge us, to stretch us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Reveal your beauty and glory to us in your word and call us to action. Lord, may we learn to be a church that devotes its time, its talent, and its treasures for your glory and for your honor alone. And your people, your church says, amen. Amen. Well, church, the Apostle Paul this morning, he is calling us, once again, in Titus, to both faith and practice, so we got to do something in this last chapter, because he reminds us of three things. One, who we were before salvation. Two, what Christ did to provide salvation. And third, the evidence of salvation that should be present within our lives. Dr. Robert Rayburn, a PCA pastor in Tacoma, Washington, he commented on this passage in his sermon by saying this, As Paul wrote these last lines in Titus 3, it seems obvious that Paul is concerned about something, and that something is Christians being devoted to good and to living a good life. It seems he didn't feel that he had made his point strongly enough previously in Titus, and so he makes it again, he makes it again, and he makes it again in his letter in Titus. And I think Dr. Rayburn is right. I think Paul is showing us through repetition this inseparable link between faith and practice, between belief and behavior. And church, we need to hear this over and over and over again until we get it and we begin to live it. Because as the old saying says, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, for our sakes and the sake of God's glory, I pray that to be true as we hear God's word, and as we live it out in our lives for his glory alone. Paul calls us to believe and apply this truth about adorning the doctrine of God, or essentially wearing, living out this doctrine of God. And in our passage, he gives us a thorough reminder of what this doctrine is, what it entails, and then he tells us there's something we should do about it. But first, Paul calls us to remember something here in verse 3. He calls us to remember who we were before salvation. Let's read this together in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Church, you see, before the Lord Jesus called you, before he called me out of darkness... And he imputed his righteousness in you, him being the one doing the work. This is who we were. We were foolish, disobedient. We were directionless, slaves to our own flesh and to the pleasures of the world that we live in. We were full of malice, desiring evil towards others. We were envious of others and things that they have. Maybe we were disliked by others. And for many of us also, from time to time, full of hate. Romans 3 says of us before our salvation, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3 says, The hearts of the children of man, they are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Romans 1, 28-31 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to be done, that they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And King David in Psalm 143 verse 2 sums this up nicely by simply saying, No one living is righteous before you, Lord. This is who we were before grace came and touched our hearts and before it turned our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And yes, I just painted a very bleak picture of the state of humanity apart from Christ, but it's in the scriptures. It's true. Yes, it's a bleak picture of the state of our own soul and our own spirit before Christ came and brought salvation, but it's true of us too. And it's a picture of the reality of this world, of things, post-fall, Adam and Eve, and we need to understand this truth of this darkness, this evil that we were born into that permeates the world that we live in, because if we don't really understand how dark the world is or our own hearts, then we're not going to truly understand and see how good Jesus is, and we're not going to truly appreciate what he has actually done for us And when we don't truly appreciate what Christ has done for us, then we certainly won't be motivated or encouraged to do good works for the Lord and for His glory alone, not ours. But if we do try to do good works apart from His grace, apart from remembering what He's done for us, the things we do will inevitably be for our glory and not for God's. And that's not what we want either. And so let me ask you, church, Do you see the depths of your hearts, the darkness, the evil that is there? Do you see that, even in your day-to-day living? Do you recognize the draw of your flesh towards the things that are evil, things that are not good, things that will fill you up, that are from the world and not from God? Do you realize how often you turn to these things that are not of God for pleasure, for intimacy, for wholeness, for happiness, for security, or for your own glory. And church, if you are aware of any of these things, these things that are going on in your lives, let me simply ask you, what are you doing about them? Are you taking them to the Lord, asking for help? You see, church, if you haven't had any time, or if you haven't deliberately set time aside for self-reflection, then in just a minute, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to give you a moment of silence to take a look at the spiritual condition of your own heart and to ask, Lord, where is some of the darkness that hides within it? Because we still revert to our old selves and old ways of living. And we still take part in this evil and this foolishness. And we do. And often we just get too busy that we don't take times to think about it. And so, right now I'm going to give you the chance to do that, just to take a moment Ask the Lord, Lord, where is some things in my life that aren't good, that aren't of you, that I'm struggling with, that are holding me captive and, and in bondage? And take them before the Lord. Let's do that right now. Amen. Church, we need to take time during our daily weeks for self-reflection, to see what the Lord's doing, or maybe things we're ignoring in our hearts and our lives. And that's, Lord, Lord, help us bring change into our hearts and to our lives. We want to live for you, not for our lives, not for ourselves, excuse me. And we need to take these times of self-reflection say, Lord, search within me. Take me deeper. I want to love you. You see, church, even for those of us who grew up in Christian homes where we can never remember a day where maybe we didn't love Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you can still see if you take time to self-reflect, to look at what's going on in your lives, you can still see the impact of evil or the draw of your own flesh towards evil in your own lives. You can still identify what Paul is saying here because there are still traces of this old life, this old way, this old self, even now. Even as now we are new beings in Christ, we still revert back to our old selves, our old lives. And see, the thing is, church, when you begin to see these things, these patterns, these evils, these things that we struggle with, these habits, these desires, when you see them for what they are, you will see that they aren't healthy, they aren't good, and that these things should begin to humble you because you know, because of these things in your lives, you are not worthy of Jesus Christ. You are not worthy. But Christ is good, and he gives his grace it gives freedom freely. And when you know that you are not worthy and you are reminded of your depravity by reflecting on your own sin, it is then that the taste of this grace that comes from God, it becomes the taste sweet to you. And when the grace of God tastes sweet to you, it's then that your desires will begin to change. You see, you need to taste the bitterness of sin to see it for what it is. But you also need to taste how good God's grace is and what it saves you from and how freeing it truly is. And you know, for some of you, some of this change that happens when you see and taste that this grace is good, some of you, the instant, it's, just a, it's a quick change. It just comes right away. But for many of us, sometimes when we love this grace, the change comes slowly, it comes over time, hating our sins and loving righteousness. But you know what, either way, whether this change comes instantly or it's a a gradual change over time, Paul tells us there, said, there should be a change. There should be a change. And that change only occurs, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in our text, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary, because Jesus Christ chose to become the object of God's wrath, and he stood in your place, and he stood in my place. And church, if you believe this to be true, Then rejoice when you hear what comes next, because you're about to hear of the beautiful salvation that Christ earned for you, that he earned for me. And may this be your motivation to do good, to care for others, to love others for his glory, not your own. So let's take a look at verses four through seven. This is going to be salvation When I was reading this, I, I like to think of the passage in this way. Like if, if, this, if this passage and in, in Titus chapter 3 were like a sandwich, verses 4 through 7 would kind of be like the meat and cheese of the sandwich. It's like it's the most delicious part. It's the best part because it speaks right of God's redemption. The redemption that Jesus has accomplished and that he's applied. This is the part of the passage that speaks of God's actions and what he's done and not ours. Conversion comes not because of human effort, but it, becomes, it comes to us because of God's goodness, His love for His people, and because of His mercy. See, justification is not achieved through human effort, but through God's grace. And the conversion that Christ brings to us comes by the work of the Holy Spirit, not by the work of your own will. It's this truth, that when the time was right, God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, out of His abundant goodness and loving and kindness, To save us. You see, the verb in verse 5 is huge. What does it say? It says, He, Jesus Christ, He saved us. And that the saving was completed. It was done. It's once for all. And you say, well, Jesus saved us from what, though? It was everything that we read in point one. All of the evil, maliciousness, the ruthlessness, the slander, the gossip, all that, that we engage in. He saved us from all of that. All of our foolishness, the disobedience, directionless living, our fleshly desires for the pleasures of this world, our desires for wanting to do evil towards others, our envy of others, and our hateful hearts. It is all of this that we are saved from. Because of our works? No, not at all. But because He saved us. According to His mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're saved because of His works. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we have nothing to boast about, church, in, our, in and of ourselves. Because we didn't save ourselves. We haven't done anything. You see, the grace that we get, it's the gift of God. It's given us, given to us by God for the glory of God so that we, God's workmanship, who are created in Christ Jesus, we would actually do good works, good deeds, which God has prepared for us to do. And this salvation that God gives to us, it's brought to us by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit You see, it's the Holy Spirit, this third member of the Trinity, that applies the work of Jesus Christ, which Jesus accomplished on the cross at Calvary. See, the Holy Spirit is the change agent who takes our heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. For Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27 say, I, the Lord, I will give you a new heart, I will give you a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus accomplished salvation, and it's the Holy Spirit that applies the salvation by regenerating us. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, we're declared legally free of our sin. We are we are justified because of the grace of God and because the Holy Spirit has applied the salvation that Christ earned. And it's for the purpose of becoming heirs, right? To receive something, becoming heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. In other words, God has saved us so that we might become who God originally created us to be in the first place, heirs to the throne of the kingdom of God, which is eternal and everlasting. We were created in the image of God, to be co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. For what purpose? To bring him glory and honor. And to become a co-heir with Christ is to receive all the rights and privileges that Christ has earned and received. Rights and privileges like salvation, adoption in the God's family, forgiveness, understanding of the mystery of God's will, which the Holy Spirit illuminates through his own word to receive a heavenly inheritance, to receive eternal life. These are the things we inherit as heirs. You see, God has saved us so that we might become who he originally created us to be, heirs to the throne of the kingdom of God. And as heirs, as Christians, who we are to reflect back the glory that is due to our heavenly king. That is what our job is. And we do this through good deeds, through good works. Right? Not for our glory, but for God's glory. You see, someone who is saved, who is a true heir of the kingdom of God, he enjoys or she enjoys the business of the king. And the business of the king is bringing salvation through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It is doing good works for the glory of the king, not the glory of man. And if we are heirs, then we have Christ. And if we have Christ, then we can and we do the work of the king. But church, if you are still a little unsure of, of what the work of the king actually looks like in daily living and day to day, what is this? what does this work look like? Then look no further than verses 1 and 2 and verses 8 through 15. And so take a moment to look at those in your bulletin. Become familiar with these verses, with some of these good works that the king has called us to. Because these good works, these things, are the, these are the evidence of our salvation, Let's take a look at these. In verse 1, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Verse 8 says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and they are worthless. As for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. But when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me, send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. The Apostle Paul is telling us in these verses that as heirs of the kingdom of God, we are to do good works like being submissive to rulers and authorities over you. To be ready for every good work, every good deed. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle to others. To show perfect courtesy to all people. To insist on the truth of God To devote ourselves to good works, lives of doing good works. We are to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. We are to warn a person who stirs up division amongst us to come to them, to rebuke them. And if the offense is repeated, we are to leave them because they are self-condemned, because they have not heard you after the first and second time of going to them. And we are to learn to devote ourselves again to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I didn't make those up. Those came straight from the text in Titus 3. As Christians, as heirs to the kingdom of God, we are called to do these good works which are consistent with the nature and character of our King. Things like obeying and submitting to the authorities placed over you, like paying taxes, obeying civil laws that are placed before you, contributing to the common good of the state and the country. For just as we are to submit, right, and obey our King Jesus, we are also to submit and obey the government, the president, your boss, and other ruling entities that the Lord has placed over you. Just as Paul was calling the Cretans to do in light of their Roman rule that they were experiencing. Now, I say this, obviously, we obey God first and foremost in all of His commands. Absolutely. But if the earthly authorities that are placed over us don't force us into disobedience against God and God's Word, then we are to be faithful citizens, employees, family members, church members, who do good to all in all of these realms. We are told as Christians and as heirs that we are not to speak evil of anyone. That includes people at church, people at work. Your family, that includes gossiping, that includes slander, that includes even using prayer, right? You know, when you are godly informing others, which can be used as forms of gossip, right? We are instead to encourage, to uplift people, to uplift them, right? We're not to tear them down with our words, with our speech, we're to build them up. We are to learn to speak gently to them, to care for them, right? To encourage people is what we're called to do. And I ask you, church, how are you doing with this? As parents, as adults, as teens, how are you doing with these things? Are you spending more time building others up, encouraging them? Or are you spending more time tearing people down? As Christians, Paul's reminding us that good works look like showing courtesy to all people, opening doors for folks, letting other folks have our seats when they're tired or weary right? Even giving our parking spots that we get to, even during the crazy Christmas season, letting others, right? Thinking better of them than ourselves. We're to just posture ourselves as genuinely caring for people and looking for opportunities to serve and to show love, courtesy to other people. That is how we are to posture ourselves, to look for opportunities and to care for others and respond in faith. We are to avoid Worthless things like getting into heated arguments on the internet, Facebook, or through emails about things that really don't matter. We're to avoid getting into quarrels, right? I'm saying heated arguments here, right? Splitting minute hairs regarding theology, politics, or what types of schooling is considered godly. Because these things stir up more dissension than bring unity in the church and in God's people. What if we spent our time and our energy Devoting to, to uplifting people, to caring for them, to being like gentle and tender and loving, rather than just making out people who have differing views from us just villains and taking time to be snarky, to be angry, and just obliterate them through social media, which is very easy to do. Oh, how these relationships with people might be transformed if we were to use our words well rather than use our words to tear others down. To show them kindness, to show people gentleness, patience, understanding love, tenderness. Even if we disagree with them, we still show them these things. How these relationships might be transformed by the grace of God. Now this doesn't mean that all discussions about theology, politics, or children's schoolings are bad. But what I am saying is that... uh, When our identities in these things come out to play, and we go off the deep end, and we start declaring war on the opposing view, that's what we're being called to avoid, to not do these things. And in place, we're called to do good, to be gentle, to speak well, to care for others, to be understanding, because that's what it is to do good works that the Lord is calling us to. Good works like caring for the urgent needs of others, like maybe taking a day off to care for your sick child, maybe like watching your neighbor's kids when parents are in a bind and just caring for them. Maybe giving the shirt or coat off your back to someone who doesn't have one. Maybe caring for the homeless in the winter when it gets freezing outside. Maybe it's providing housing for somebody who doesn't have a place to stay. There could be all sorts of ways. There could be urgent needs. But we are to care for people, to love them well, to show them the grace of God that makes a real difference in people's lives. We are called to do good works like confronting someone who's bringing division to the kingdom of God, to your workplace, or in your family. We are to go to that brother or sister to rebuke them gently once and then to do it twice. And if they have nothing to do with what we have to say to them, if they resist our gentle rebuke, then we are to turn ourselves away from them, for they are already condemned, and we are to leave them be. That is also a good work that we are called to do. And that may be hard, but it is something that we are called to do, not for our glory, but for God's glory. And to do these good works, church, it is to show the evidence of our salvation. Being doers of good shows that your beliefs, that your convictions, that they are real, To do these things, these good works, shows that your faith is both living and it's active. Right? We don't want to just be the frozen chosen that we get tagged as. We want to be the salt and light reaching our community. That's who we want to be. James said it well in chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. He said, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I know this being a doer of good is not easy, it's not convenient. And it's usually hard, and many times it's also countercultural to what's going on around us. But this is to be consistent with who you are now as a Christian. So be who God created you to be and do good works. Be fruitful, abide in the Lord, because if you do, you will bear much fruit. And that fruit that you bear, it will taste sweet to you, to the Lord, and to others around you. And I know many of you like the taste of fresh fruit and know how sweet it really is when it's ripe, when it's good. Fresh peaches, strawberries, blackberries, clementines, for those of you who get those. It tastes really good, right? And that's the, that's what the, the fruit of the Spirit that we do with our good works, that's how it tastes to our Lord and Savior. It's sweet. It is good. For the fruit that you bear is evidence of your salvation. It is real, And it shows that you are truly connected to the vine who is Christ Jesus. Because if you are only a hearer and not a doer of good, then the scriptures tell you to beware. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 6 through 3, He said, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they are thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, being doers of good. Church, we are to learn and to grow in our love for God. And we are to take time for self-reflection to see how unworthy we truly are of God. Because when we do see how unworthy we are, we will then see, man, the grace of God is really good. And it is really sweet. And when you see that the grace of God is really sweet, when you know how good God truly is to you because you have seen your sin for what it is, how dark and evil it is, and how it hurts you, and it hurts others, and it hurts the Lord. When you see that, and you see how good the grace is that you get, you will be motivated to help others to do good works, good deeds, caring for other people, not for your glory, but for God's glory. It happens. I'm telling you, ask the Lord to help you with this, to be doers of good. Help Him to open up avenues, opportunities, that you might do good to care for others, to care for our community that we live in. Church, reach out to Loudoun County. There are a lot of people who do not love Jesus, to know him, or who are just in physical needs. Let's be a church who cares for our community. Let's be a church who does good to show the glory of God and to show them what the grace and power of God can do. Let's do that. But we can only do it through God's help. So we got to go to him and pray. Let's do that now. Lord, it is only in you that you begin to change us from being a people who just see your truth to a people who love your truth where that love begins to change the way we live and how we care for others, our spouses, our families, our neighbors, our communities, our county. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church, that we would pray, that you would change us, that we would be beacons of light, Lord, that we would be salt and light for this community, that we would take your word, that we would love it, and we would share it with others that we would invite others to hear of your goodness, of your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would have so many stories of seeing and talking about how good you are and what you've done and how faithful you have been to us and now how you have ministered to so many others. Lord, we want to be a church to tell stories of your mightiness and of your power. Lord, you are good. We were evil before you brought salvation to our hearts, but Lord, in your grace, you changed our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And now as heirs to the kingdom of God, you are calling us to, Lord, do your work, to do the good deeds that bring you glory and honor. I pray that we would be a church who would respond faithfully, who would do that in gladness. And I pray, Lord, that we would... We would do this expectantly, waiting and knowing that you are able to do these things for us and through us, because it is you who are doing it, not us. Change us, use us, mold us as your people. And the church says, amen. Then receive this benediction in Hebrews. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.